All right, let's read in uh, Isaiah chapter 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to, fit with, to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. It shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. You turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thanks for Valentine's Day, Lord. Thank you for Ash Wednesday. Um, we got time to, to look to you, Father. Thank you for the scripture and um, for speaking straight to us. Father, I pray that you convict us today, Lord. You speak through Taylor. Show us what a true fast is. Show us what you want of us, Lord, what you require of us, Lord, and what um, continues to build a relationship with you. We love you. We honor you. And uh, we ask that you'd enable us just to, to uh, be transformed in this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm good. Thanks, man. Man, I almost said it. Good morning. Good, good evening. Well, this is going to be a short homily on um, this fairly long text and this really intense text. Um, you're thinking, okay, Valentine's Day, Ash Wednesday, not a, not a great coincidence. Um, kind of almost canceled it, kind of did cancel it because like Valentine's Day, nobody's going to be here. It's totally inconstant. I grew up Protestant, so let's just, and then people found out and it was probably you you guys that are here that found out and raised a hue and cry. So um, I'm glad to be doing this with you all um, just to set our minds and our hearts in, the, in a place to be walking toward the cross together these next 40 plus days. So I want to talk just for a few minutes about what love looks like. That's what I'm, I'm sort of titling the text that Nathaniel just read in this, in this short message. What, this is what love on a Valentine's Day, 
on Ash Wednesday, on the coincidence of both, I want to talk for a moment about what love looks like. And we see it here in this really intense, hard-hitting text. Uh, 2001, Falls Church, Virginia, right outside of D.C., Friday morning, 9 a.m., sitting at a table, a long table, and in walks a man with a starched, pressed, neatly pressed, white button-down shirt, and he sits down at the table, and he says quite a few things that morning that, frankly, blow my mind and heart and actually kind of set the course for, for my career, my life, and I ended up going to law school in large part because of this man and then actually coming out and doing what I'm doing now in part because of that. But one of the things that he said that morning, he talked about a really familiar parable to me and probably to all, most of you, and it was the par- it, excuse me, it was the story, the true story, not the parable, of, uh, in the Gospels of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And he talked about that familiar story, and he said, you know, when the boy offered his, you know, five loaves and two fish, and Jesus took them, and he started to multiply them, and multiply, and more and more fish, and more and more bread, and he had seated people in groups of 50s on the grass. It was over 5,000 men, so probably, I mean, it could have been 10, 20,000 people that they fed. And Gary just said, well, I just gave his name away. I'll I'll give his full name at the end. But this man, Gary, he said, he did this really awkward thing where he said, and Jesus was just multiplying this bread, this tiny amount, this little lunch for a boy, this bread and these fish. He was multiplying them, and they were piling up and just piling up over the disciples. And uh, the disciples kept saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, as the, as the food just kept coming in. Thank you, Lord, this is too much. We can't even handle all this. Thank you, such wealth. Thank you, such abundance. Thank you, thank you. And he did thank you, Lord, for like a minute. We were just like, is this guy off his rocker? Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. He said, what was the point of all that? Sort of a pregnant pause. He looked at us and he said, what was the point of all that multiplication of all that food? Was it so that... Disciples could enjoy way too much just for them? He said, of course not. That's, that's, that's a stupid question. Of course, the reason that he multiplied a lot was for the disciples to take it and to give it out, to take that wealth and to pass it out and to feed those who had nothing and who were hungry. And, you know, that stuck with me, obviously, and that is really lar- in large part what this text is about in Isaiah 58. This prophet, at the end of his long letter, to, the, to Israel, the, the people of God is basically saying, share your immense wealth. Share what you have. It's not just for you. Because even if it were, it were yours, you'd be called, God would call you to share it, but it's not yours. God has given you all of these things, all these resources, not just for you, but to do all these things that we hear about in this text, and we'll, we'll walk through some of them. Um, yet, so often we live as if all the things that we have, all the, and we're all at the top of the pyramid, not only in history, but in, uh, not only in the world, but in history. I, I read recently that if you, if you have one spigot of fresh water in your house, it, even if it's for the laundry, you are at the top, like the top percentage, I can't remember what the percentage is, um, of people, of wealth in the, in the world. And so um, we have a ton, and, and really what, uh, what this text is saying to just sort of oversimplify is if you have lots and the person in front of you or near you has, has zero, then give that person some. Um, God is saying to his people, 
sort of to press in a little bit on this, get more specific. I don't want your punctilious religious observance. He's talking about fasting, right? Stop the fasting. You want, I'll tell you the kind of fasting I want. So I don't want your punctilious religious observance, your church going, your Bible reading, your fasting, your praying. If you are not, here it is. If you are not clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, freeing the enslaved, and housing the homeless. That's just, I wish this text were more vague. It's, it's disturbingly clear. If you're not doing these things, the, 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 the burden of this text is, if you're not doing these things, your religion is worthless. It's worse than worthless because now you are accountable before a living God for having all these things and keeping them to yourself. This text is a hammer. And if you see me pointing a finger out here, first of all, don't kill the messenger, okay? My job is not to be your cheerleader. My job is to be your soul shepherd and to try to rightly convey the word of God to you because I think that it's the way to life and I think that it's the truth and I know you do too. Um, it's not always easy, but if I'm just tickling your ears all the time, then there's a problem, right? So, but if I have a finger pointed at you, I have four fingers pointed back at me, the old adage, it's true this time. This is an extremely convicting text for me. Um, one commentator says, the religious practice of God's people, quote, seemed praiseworthy. Verse two, what does he say? He says, they seek me, what's the word, daily, in delight to know my ways. So these people went to church or temple, not just once a week on Sunday, not just maybe a couple times a month. They went daily. These were very religious people. The same commentator says their practice was assiduous, committed, and devoted. But God says, enough, no more. Until I see some action, all your observance is meaningless. And the people's assumption was, quote, that it's possible to be truly religious. Here is their fatal flaw that it's possible to be truly religious and socially indifferent. That was the mistake they made. Wrong. Um, but it's not a negative, okay? It's not a negative that pleases God, but a positive. Let me try to unpack that. Um, he's, not, he's saying, look, I'm not, I don't really care about your going without and going without and going without if you don't take what you have and give Okay, it's about doing, not just not doing, all right? So let's, let's march through a few of these verses together. Verse six, it says, is this not the fast I choose? This is where the text is just disturbingly clear. To loose the bonds of wickedness. Let me tell you what kind of fast I want from you, friends, is what God says. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke. Alec Motir says, this refers to the need to eliminate every way in which people are treated like animals. So I just rattled off a few when I was thinking about this. I can think of a few, trafficked humans, the unborn, the homeless, sometimes prisoners, sometimes immigrants and refugees, sometimes foster children and orphans. Um, and this is why we wanna be working hard as a church to take the resources that come in, uh, and we've said this from the start, and, uh, and try to plow them into, yes, preaching the gospel, yes, planting churches, we believe in this for so many reasons, not the least of which is because we think it's the God's plan A for kingdom growth and for these things to happen, right? But in addition to preaching the gospel and as a byproduct of preaching the gospel, we want to be partnering to do these things, to do justice and mercy, to have partnerships that are in all these areas that are making a difference, that are plowing money and people and time and energy into these things that God talks about here. But I wanna press in on you to say, let's as a church, lean into that more. You know, we're about to um, lay out 
figure out our finance team um, in May. We're going to figure out our next year's budget. I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm and the finance team are both kind of leaning into what would, going from over 20%, which is what we're giving out now, to going to 30%, and then eventually going to half, and just pressing into giving all that we can, rather than putting, trying to, the temptation is let's take what's coming in and put it to facilities or staff. And right now, I gotta say, we are, we are giving in such a way that it is hurting us. It, in other words, it's good. We should be giving sacrificially. There are people we can't hire, and there are buildings that we couldn't rent right now because of the way that we're giving. I wanna increase that, and I, and I wanna increase that not because it's painless, because this is the heart of God. This is what love looks like. And we've been given so, so much. Why? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank, to stuff our faces? No. Y'all, the more we give, it's amazing. We have over $300,000 in savings right now with a young church plan. And we keep giving, and I wanna keep giving more and more because that's just the way God works. But he's not giving it so that we can have you know, $3 million in the bank, in my opinion. For, uh, now, I'm not saying we shouldn't save for a future building. I'm not saying that, okay? But that's not our focus. And individually, I wanna press on you as individuals, as persons, as saints, as families, to really ask God through this word over these next 40 plus days. And I'm gonna be right here with you trying to figure out, Lord, how does my life line up better with this word from you? Because it is a word of blessing and we are called to obey and what a privilege it is. Um, Verse seven, share your bread with the hungry. Okay, again, so clear, disturbingly clear. This quote suggests actually serving food to the hungry, says the same commentator. Really? Imagine that. So do you have a fridge full of food and the guy down the street that's, you know, I could, I could, if I have a good arm, I could hit him, is literally starving. You should not be. Um, can't wait to start a partnership with the Star of Hope. You know, every time I pass someone homeless on the street, ah, um, I'll share a little bit, a little story about that in a bit about what Seth said. When you see the naked, verse seven, cover him. Do you have a closet full of clothes? And there are people that literally have been, they walk past me on West Hammer all the time that are literally been wearing their stuff for months. Okay, do I have a closet full of clothes? Many of which I, I don't wear very much. Share what you have. It's not yours. Bring the homeless into your house, verse seven. This refers to the opening of your home. Wow, that's what the commentator says. Of course it does. When you see speaks of the immediate responsiveness to need. And he says, not to do these things is not to do nothing, but it's to do something. It's, quote, to hide yourself from your own flesh, according to this, this scripture, okay? It's not just to do nothing, to pass these opportunities by as a people that have been given so much. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, is to hide ourselves from our own flesh. Wow, I pray these words stay with us. So Seth, his comment a month ago in the car, he's like my little Jiminy Cricket in the car. Um, he's, we passed a homeless man and we passed homeless people every day, multiple times on Westheimer. That's one of the reasons I wanted to live on the other side of Westheimer so I knew I have to go back and forth. And man, um, reminds you of what you have and I'm still not sure what to do about it. So we can think together, we can pray together, right? I don't have the, I don't have the answer, I, I don't. We don't, we don't have a thriving homeless ministry here. I, I don't give as much as I want to give away. I, I don't. Guilty. Pointing at you, pour back at me. Um, but Seth says, hey, Dad, I bet he'd like to come to our house with a sweet little voice. He wasn't, you know, I bet he'd like to come to our house and have a meal. And uh, why don't we invite him? And I said something like, lame, like, oh, it's complicated, uh, you know? And, and Seth said, 
without a moment's pause, he said, doesn't Jesus say to love your neighbor as yourself? And I said something like, yes, son. And here's my prayer, God help me, God help us. Not God help us like, and then move on, but God help us. Help us these few weeks leading up to thinking about and fixating on a savior who left everything and all the riches of heaven to come and to make us rich, who doesn't do that just so we can say, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, and thank you, Lord, who does it so that we can follow his example, right? Um, wow. So I wanna, I wanna encourage you with a little story um, about one of my own sins. Um, I recently have noticed a real problem with offense, I just like by little thing, by trivial things and constantly I'm getting offended, okay? And I'm, I start crying out to God after I realize, after the Holy Spirit's convicting me, thankfully I just start crying out to God. I, I, I don't know of any resources that, you know, I mean, I'm not coming through libraries. I've never heard of anything written on offense. Um, and so I'm, I'm just praying to God by myself. Have not ever mentioned this to Robin that I'm aware of. Um, Lord, help, help. I'm so sorry. I can't get this out of my heart. Sometimes you can, you know, like lust, boom, I got kind of, I don't got that, I don't have that fixed, but I'm saying you got strategies, go for a jog, you know, uh, yada, 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 but um, have accountability partners, stay in the word, and on and on it goes. Um, but with this, man, I was out of my league. I, I, I was, I was, I was, uh, I didn't know what to do. So I prayed this prayer over and over and over again, and literally out of nowhere last week, a friend texts me, um, hey, read the bait of Satan. I mean, it wasn't like a, I didn't, we weren't having a conversation about offense. It was just read the bait of Satan. And that's a scary title. I was like, what are you talking about? Read the bait of Satan. Um, and it's available uh, at the public library on audio. So I, I clicked on it and it's, the subtitle is living free from the deadly trap of offense. So, th- so here's the point. Not that God speaks, he does, uh, through his word primarily and also to us. And we always take it back to his word, but the point is that God has all the resources we need. And as we cry out to him for this, help God, we see your word, we want to line up more with what your word is saying about what a true fast looks like. Why have you given us all this wealth? How is the vision gonna be attained? I mean, God doesn't need our wealth and a lot of times it gets in the way. It's a blessing, yes, but it's mainly a blessing to, to share and to lift the other boats because we've been lifted, right? But how is the vision gonna be attained of like, all this wealth here on this side and then the nations on that side of Westheimer and how is it gonna become a bridge well, partly through us stepping into this and our boats lowering so those boats can come up. And then all of a sudden things start to look similar and we start to fellowship. And I don't know, but I'm gonna pray into that. And I'm gonna pray into my own finances and into my own life and my own heart. You can bet that's true. And I look forward to praying with you guys. So God helped me and he did. He knew about this thing. It's like right on point that I needed and he, he can do it. He has the resources and he can change our hearts. And he can walk our church into this greater generosity and he knows who we need to partner with and on and on it goes. So closing down, you look at verse 13 as the passage comes to a close and and there's a strange verse about the Sabbath. Why is this verse here about the Sabbath? If If you do all these things, if you feed, if you clothe, if you share your wealth, stop fasting and start doing. Love is a verb. Here's what love looks like. I've made you wealthy to bless other people, right? Um, and then he says, and, and if you keep the Sabbath, it's like, wait, what? Why? Why is this here? The point is that they are treating the Sabbath like any other day, and they are treating the Sabbath like it is their own day. 
one commentator says, like it's a bank holiday, many of us treat the Sabbath, the Lord's day as it were, like a second Saturday. We come to church and then the rest of it, if I'm honest, in my mind, the rest of it's kind of mine. God says here, false, false, not yours. Don't seek your delight on that day. And get the larger point here. I'm not saying you can't go to a football game. That's ridiculous, of course. But the point to me in my mind, I think about Sunday after we gather is mainly like it's mine. And I heard somebody recently say in our, in our church, and I used to feel this way, but it's a helpful illustration. She said, um, man, when we have the gathering in the morning and then we have an evening parish mealtime, it feels congested. And I said, man, why? I said to myself, why, does that be, why is that the case? Because, it, because you feel like it's your time. If it's the Lord's day, it doesn't feel like that. And here's the thing, here's the point he's trying to make. If we realize that that's God's day, and this is the first day of the week now, being the Lord's day, the day he rose from the dead and started something completely new, then all of a sudden we realize, hey, every day is God's day. I've been thinking these days were mine. I've been thinking this time was mine. I've been thinking this stuff was mine. That's how it relates. This stuff isn't mine. This day isn't mine. This time isn't mine. It's God's. I'm a steward. I am a steward. We are stewards. How are we stewarding the wealth that God has given us? Um, I, I do some accountability monthly with my parish leader men, and one of the one of the one of the questions out of the 21 that we go through is, do I pray about how I spend my money? And I always check no. I always forget <laughs> that that one is there. <laughs> and I'm always convicted, not often. Why don't I? Because I think that my, that's my money, pretty much. If I, if I really believed it was God's and I was stewarding it, I would pray about it way more. Do I pray about how I spend my time? Do I pray about how it's all God's, everything? Um, it's not a minus he's after, a fast, but a plus, a feast. The Sabbath was a feast to God, and God is about us feasting. Um, look at the promises that he finishes this paragraph with, uh, this, this, uh, this text with, excuse me. Um, the promises are extraordinary. He says, your light will rise like the noonday sun, verse 10. You will be satisfied, full, and fruitful like a well-watered garden, verse 11. If we plow all these things, our tendency and our culture says and our fleshly tendency is to keep because we think that's the way to life. God says it's the opposite. Die and then you'll rise. It's the only portal through which you will come to life. Give and you will get, okay? It's more blessed to give than to receive. We, we know these things, but he's saying, look, you will, your, your light will rise like the sun at noon. You will be satisfied, full and fruitful like a well-watered garden, verse 11. You will be rebuilt and rebuild um, uh, Ruined places and people, verse 12. And finally, this strange, awesome promise, you will ride on the heights of the earth. I have to be honest, I, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds amazing. And I kinda wanna ride on the heights of the earth. I don't know about you, but this is a promise from God whose word does not fail or return void, whose word creates out of darkness, whose word brings life. This is true, this will happen. I want this for our church. I want this for you. I'm gonna stand and give testimony to you, my sheep, as your under-shepherd one day before God and say, how did you, God, I want this for you. I want this for us. I want this for us together. I wanna press into this. Why is God calling us to, to this? Because when he was speaking to them, they had the exodus to look back on. Look at what God has done for us. Look at how he saved us from slavery. Look at how he made us rich and put us in this land. How much more do we have? We have 
Jesus inside of us, he who was crushed for us, he who gave, he forsook everything, all the riches of heaven, and became poor for us, so that we might become rich. And what is it? So that we can thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. And no, no. Wow. I don't know how this is supposed to look. I, I re, he who wears a Cartier watch as I'm preaching this text to you. Hey, it's okay to have money, but it's not just for me. It's not just for us, these resources. They're God. So God, how do we help? How do we use it? He knows. He'll give us the bait of Satan, you know, the, uh, you know, the deadly trap of offense. He'll, he'll give us that thing. He'll help us. He'll walk with us. He is with us, right? Okay. Um, as I close, I'm reading a book on homosexuality. Um, is God Anti-Gay by Sam, Sam Albury. It's wonderful. And he, he reminds me of something. He says, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah were notorious for their sins, and we, knew, we know what sin they were notorious for, and we have the word sodomy that comes from that. Um, but later, centuries later, the prophet Ezekiel talks about that sin, and he's saying, Israel, you have the same issues. And what does he say? He goes through a litany, and the main one is not, sodomy isn't even mentioned. Homosexuality is not even mentioned. You neglect the poor. Sodom was wicked, wicked, wicked because it neglected the poor. Wow. God hates this. He hates this. He died to make us rich, and so we might might send out our riches to make others rich as well, primarily through the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also by clothing, feeding, bringing in. How is that going to look with us? I want to be a people that do that well. I want to be a people that do that well. He's made us rich so we might help, not hoard. Um, there's this wonderful line in the Valley of Vision, a Puritan prayer book, and, it's, and it says this, may my improvements correspond with my privileges. May my improvements correspond with my privileges. Uh, to him whom, uh, who has much, much is expected, right? Um, most churches are either serious about, this is changing, but most churches are either serious about preaching the gospel or serious about helping the poor, social gospel or, you know, gospel, gospel. But let's be a church, that's a false dichotomy. That is a, and that's what this text says, right? If we truly understand the gospel and have received the free gift of Jesus Christ, our, eyes, a lot of, our lives ought to look more and more and more and more like that. Help me, help us, God. He will, I know he will. I'm, ex- I'm so excited to take this journey with you guys. We're already on it, hey, we're already on it. I'm so proud in so many ways of this church and so excited about where else God's gonna take us. But this is his word for today, so I gotta preach it right? Um, the man I mentioned at the beginning, um, his, his name is Gary Haugen, and he's the uh, president of International Justice Mission, and um, he's the one that talked on the feeding the 5,000. So let me end with him as well. Um, he also talked that morning about a verse that I've mentioned many times. It's kind of like the banner verse for our partnerships, and it's Micah 6, 8, and it says, uh, a lot of you know it, and, it, and, it, and he says, he, he, pray, he prefaces it by saying, look, when God says, like the there are a lot of commands in the Bible. Right? We have a Jewish friend that's fond of saying there are 613 commands in the Bible and there are, there's a lot more other stuff too, aside from just the law. It's a big book. God whittles it down to three things in Micah 6, 8, the prophet. And Gary says, when he tells you, okay, there are three things I require of you. Your antenna should go, three things. And the first thing is do justice. Can we be a church that does justice, that's serious about doing justice, that's serious about using the resources God's given us, all of them, doing justice to, to helping those that have less and preaching the gospel, yes, through words and also through our actions. Um, 
Gary is, I finished with him because he's coming to Memorial Drive Prez next Thursday from seven to nine. It's our pint night. Uh, guys, pint night is at eight. Um, so we're gonna do a pivot. And I've signed up. I've signed Robin up. They have kid care. Uh, I've signed, uh, the kids are already registered. It's all free. Um, I wanna encourage you and as many of us as can to come to that. Seven to nine, mdpc.org. Gary is an amazing guy. He has an amazing message from the Lord. They're doing amazing things all around the world. They partner with churches. I would love to go. If we wanna grab a pint afterwards, yee fine, that's great. But here's the thing. I don't wanna be known as a, a church that, that, that drinks, that has pints. Like, I, I'm not saying I don't, wanna, I don't wanna stop that. I think pint night's great. I think it's great for a lot of reasons, fellowship and so on and so forth. But I wanna be known as a church that does justice, that loves Jesus and loves others. Um, so we surrender, Lord. You gave everything to purchase us. We're yours. Nothing that we have is our own. We are stewards. Have your way with us. May this 40-day fast make a difference in how we live so others might live, that we might ride on the heights of the earth. Amen.